We are live, Bose and TKO's episode nine, coming at you early this week on this beautiful Monday morning as we just got back from Salt Lake City. Uh, spent quite a few hours in the car, and if you didn't tune into last week's episode, I have one of my friends from college, Jace Tibby here. Um, he lives in Prescott, so somewhat close, and we get to banter a little bit about his first UFC experience and UFC in general, so excited to jump in. But before we talk MMA, we got the one and only sponsor here at Bose and TKO's Fueled Supplements. So whether you're trying to run a 4040, lift 400 pounds, or enjoy life for another 40 years, Fueled Supplements has a variety of products that aligns exactly to your specific goals. Go to FueledSupplements.com, use my promotion code BUCKETS for 15% off. Once again, promotion code BUCKETS, B-U-C-K-E-T-S. And we have a stacked show with UFC Nashville coming up this weekend. Another uh, fight night card that is in a location I love when they go somewhere else besides the Apex Chase because, you know, the Apex, it's only for rich people. It's, you really can't even get tickets for it. And uh, I like seeing the city show out. Like, are they MMA fans? Are they going all out? What's going on? And it's cool to see each city and how they represent themselves. Do you ever tune into the fight night cards? Yeah, dude. Generally every weekend I'm watching the fight night cards, or at least I have them on. Cool, man. Well, uh, we got some fights that have been announced, and we got some bangers as we have pretty much early fall Abu Dhabi, some fight night cards getting built out. In Bantamweight, we got Adrian Yanez, Jonathan Martinez, two guys right outside the top 15. That's going to be a scrap. Do you have any thoughts on that one? Uh, that is going to be a scrap, man. Always cool to see Jonathan Martinez coming in there, and uh, he's got a tough, tough challenge in Adrian Yanez, Yanez. so uh, hopefully he can he can make the best of it. I'm going to go with him. A win there is really going to set the stage for their fights, and we'll break those down later, but uh, we have another banger. Um, you put Edson Barboza <coughs> in the octagon. I'm tuning in. Shit's going down. We got Sadiq Youssef, Edson Barboza, October 14th. Woo-wee, what a scrap that is, Jace. Yeah, it's in Barbosa, one of the OGs. Always love to watch him. Going to be a fun fight. And then we got, in the featherweight division, 50K Danny Gay, Bryce Mitchell, September 23rd. It'll be great to see Bryce try to get redemption after Aaliyah Topiria just, just wiped the canvas with him. Yeah, man, watching that fight. I'm a big fan of Bryce Mitchell. Good guy. Uh, Fuck nasty. <laughs> inside and outside of the octagon. He's really entertaining. Uh Seems like a great guy, like I said, so I'm pulling for him in that fight. Looking forward to seeing it. And then we got Drew Dober, Ricky Glenn, October 7th. Um, I always make a joke on here they should just call Drew Dober the Crimson Chin because he's got the big chin like on, what is that, Fairly Odd Parents, and he never goes down. But uh, when Drew Dober stepping in, you got to tune in. Yeah, man, Drew Dober's awesome to watch. He always brings a show. He's always banging fists every fight, so excited to banging see that one. fists. Uh, we got Vitor Petrino, Modestus, Bukakis, uh, November 4th. That's a great fight in the light heavyweight division. Speaking of light heavyweight, announced this morning, uh, which ruins one of my fight predictions, but we got Megomed, Inkaliyev, Johnny Walker, two great young talents in the light heavyweight division. With a win here, could potentially get you right in line for that uh, light heavyweight title shot, especially with Jamal Hill being out. Yeah, man, Johnny Walker making a comeback with a huge win over uh, Lionheart, uh, Anthony Smith, in his last fight. So getting a chance to come and fight uh, Magomed going to be a huge challenge. Hopefully he can pull it off. And then uh, these two have really taken the UFC by storm in the amazingly deep lightweight division. Rafael Faziv, Maytouche Gamrot, September 23rd, five rounds main event. Man, that's going to be awesome. 
Yeah, just super excited. We get to see Fazeev go another five rounds. He always brings the heat. Always fun to watch. Yeah, I rewatched him and uh, Gaethje pre the fight here, and man, what a what a war that was. Um, love seeing this guy back in the octagon. We got Alex Caceres and Giga Chikadze finally taking an opponent. Supposedly, people had denied him. I think he was trying to shoot too high in the rankings, and people were like, "Bro, like you haven't done enough yet." But that will be going down August twenty sixth. Yeah, it's a combination of him uh, not doing enough yet, but also him being a monster. Chikadze is not somebody I would want to fight in that division. Well, we'll see if he can match up against Bruce Leroy. And then we got D-Rod, Daniel Rodriguez, Santiago Ponzinibbio, <coughs> September 16th. Uh, that's going to be war, I'm sure. Yeah, Ponzinibbio is uh, kind of an unorthodox fighter, but always brings an entertaining fight. So UFC's doing a great job lining all these up for us. I definitely like to throw hands. Um, and then there was a big announcement uh, after we recorded the pod last week. You know, USADA has taken over the UFC by storm, and it's definitely a, a safer, cleaner sport than the, the days I became a UFC fan. And Dustin Poirier was uh, giving a trophy for his 75th clean test in a row, which, you know, there are these days of tainted substance, substances where you're getting... Um, barely anything coming up on a test. Kyler Matrix is fighting. I'll break that down later. He tested positive for Osterine. Uh, Sean O'Malley had that issue. John Jones. And they call it a picogram, which is like a millionth of a piece of salt. So it's kind of crazy how intense these tests are. You could simply maybe, you know, go and get some mainstream protein powder or something like that. It could be tainted. But it keeps the, the sport safe in all the amazing fights. The Diamond's been in 75th. Uh, clean test uh not only does he lead in the octagon outside but just his professional full package yeah man dustin is definitely a guy to look up to his integrity is unmatched in the ufc and uh, he deserves that recognition from usada and then we'll quickly glimpse through this i did not watch this i was in salt lake city for the the best event this weekend people are trying to debate that terence crawford and earl spence is the bigger event I'm interested to see what pay-per-view numbers did for that and the UFC this weekend. I would assume they're relatively close. And the way Salt Lake City showed out, I don't know if you could beat the event that we saw this weekend. But um, Bellator versus Risen 2 is about as good as it gets for Bellator in their events. But there was a brutal, brutal happening before the event even got started. AJ McKee, the main event of the evening, out with staff infection. And staff's one of those things, you can kind of control it, you kind of can't. Uh, but it's, it, you definitely are not going to get approved to, to, to make the fight. So uh, Roberto Satoshi, late notice fill-in, and defeats Patricky Pitbull, the older brother, via round two TKO. I mean, golly, what a performance there. Uh, Would have loved to see the Bellator round off, but now i got to keep my eyes on Roberto uh, Satoshi. Uh, that's a massive win for him. Um, another dunk, uh, cl um, clunker here. The Bellator division uh, wanted to start a flyweight division. They were going to crown their first ever flyweight champion. And Kyoji Horiguchi, Makoto Shinru, no contest, accidental eye poke. Uh, I, I went to Las Vegas and saw that happen with Sean O'Malley, Pedro Munoz. It definitely takes a little bit of the energy out of the air. Um, but the rest of the card was solid. We had Kano Watanabe defeat Veda Arteaga, the unanimous decision. Uh, probably one of the better quality matchups on the card uh again you got a guy megomed not only once but twice in his name he's probably going to be a problem 
And Danny Sabatello got to experience that. He lost via round three gu uh, guillotine choke to Megomed Megomedov. What a name, man. Uh, we had Andre Korshkov defeat Lorenz Larkin via uh, split decision. So very close fight. I picked Lorenz on that fight. Um, would, would probably love to watch that back if I can. We had Juan Arculeta defeat Hiromasa Ogopuko for the Ryzen Bantamweight Championship. Chihiro Suzuki defeated Patricio uh, Ferrari via round one knockout. Um, Patricio, one of the better fighters on the Bellator roster. He did lose to Anthony Pettis' brother, Sergio. Um, but for him to take a round one knockout <laughs> defeat, watch out for Chihiro Suzuki. And then the very, very good Tafik Musayev defeating Akira Okada by round two knockout. So Bellator risen. It went down. If you were able to tune in, awesome. But uh, it's funny that this event happens as Bellator is trying to sell the promotion, the PFL's interested buyers. The future of these other organizations, it's going to be drastically different in 2024. But great, great event by them here. Um, you ever try to tune into Bellator or think about it in the future? Uh, you know, I usually only tune in when there's something crazy that happens and I see a highlight or there's a fighter that I know who's either a prospect of the USC or has moved down into Bellator, another one of those promotions. That's usually when I catch those fights, but not, not actively. And uh, loved watching the clip back. I wish, you know, sometimes when you go to live events or things like this, I would have been at home with this boxing probably pulled up on my laptop. But Bud, Terrence Crawford coming out with Eminem Live to Lose Yourself. I mean, if that doesn't get you fired up, I don't know what does. And boy, did that set the stage as he just cleaned house with Earl Spence Jr. Two of the best fighters, which since the 90s, if you have two undefeated fighters in their primes, they usually don't match each other up. You know, they want to have the breaking rights. They want to have the money. And then way past their prime, like Floyd Pacquiao, it ends up happening. So the fact that these guys in their mid-30s got to fight each other, it was awesome. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I thought it was a close, going to be a close fight, but I thought Terrence Crawford was the better boxer, and boy, did he showcase that. Got uh, a round two knockdown and ended up getting the round nine TKO. Massive performance. I can't wait to see where Terrence Crawford goes next, and I don't know who's going to be able to stop him. Any thoughts there? Yeah, not too big of a boxing fan. I'll tune in for huge fights like this if I wasn't doing something like uh, being in Salt Lake. Um, but uh, seeing those highlights and then also seeing, uh, seeing that entrance uh, with Eminem and having a live performance of uh, Lose Yourself to the Walkout was uh, an unforgettable moment that will be uh, in clips for here to come. Well, we're going to jump right into UFC 291, potential card of the year, BMF title on the line. I will admit for picks, it was a little rough sledding out there. We were five, I was 5-6 and six in my picks. The first losing record on a card for bows and TKOs is we're nine episodes deep, but we are plus 15 on the year, 53 and 38. I am not mad about that. So we're going to keep bringing those awesome picks for UFC Nashville. Uh, but before we even talk about the card, Jace, this was your first UFC moment live. Uh, I mean, when did you become a UFC fan? Let's start there real quick. Jeez, I must have been 15 or 16 years old. Uh, I'm 31 now, so that was in the days of... Uh... Chuck Liddell was my favorite fighter back then uh, as a kid. Fell out of it, but uh, when I got into college and through college, I got back into it. Um, so now I guess eight or nine years total. And what got you into it? Did your dad watch it, brother? Did you have someone that was a uh, influence, yeah. or did you just randomly stroll No, my, my late stepdad actually was uh, 
really into MMA. He had the the box sets of the the King of the Cage promotion, Hell like yeah. the the real, real deep Hardcore. down and dirty shit. Um, yeah, so. I uh, I started watching those, and then when he was watching UFC, I would go and watch with him, and kind of fell into it that way. Right on, man. Well, um, after all those years, did you ever think in the short term, like the past few years, you'd go to a UFC event? Was it something that you wanted to do, or was it just simply enough? I was like, hey, you want to go? And you're like, fuck it, time is now. Uh, I've always wanted to go, but, you know... The further we get in life, the more expensive those things have gotten, and uh, they've always just been a little kind of out of reach for me, but this one seemed like one to definitely uh, go for, and uh, I'm glad I did. It was unforgettable experience, man. Yeah, if you could summarize just the, the night overall, what were some of the emotions, some highlights, and for those that haven't gone to the UFC, you've been to NFL, NBA, majority yeah. sports, what stuck out the difference between this and other live sports, and why would someone want to pay $300 or so to get a ticket? Uh... It's an experience you don't get on TV. I think, uh, I mean, watching on TV is great, but there's, there's no, there's, you, I can't put it into words uh, what it's like being there. The energy is something like you've never felt before. I've been to a lot of games, big energy, great, uh, great stadiums and teams known for, for the energy that their fans bring. Um, and just being in this, in this arena watching the UFC fight, especially a card like this, the energy is the thing that stood out the most. Um, just awesome, man. Everything went perfect. What was your highlight of the night? <sighs> well, I lost my voice. I'm sure you can you can tell. But the highlight of the night, oh, there were so many good moments. It had to have been Justin's head kick, though, of course. I I just remember like having my head hands on my head for about 15 seconds. Like that just happened. Justin yep. Poirier just got flatlined on the canvas. Like, oh my goodness. And then, um, you know, we came early. We were there before the first fights. There had been two fights pulled off, which we'll break down further. One of them, a huge bummer. Um, so a little bit shorter of a card, but the high-quality fights there. And um, usually when I go to Vegas, most people don't come until, like, the main event pay-per-view. Maybe even a couple fights after the main event. So for me, the thing that stuck out was that place was packed early, way before the main card was completely sold out. We even got a little seat upgrade if you want to t share that story. But what did you feel like the environment was in Salt Lake? What was your takeaway from Salt Lake uh, as a UFC fandom? And obviously there's a lot of people that traveled like we did, but what was what was the Salt Lake experience like and how impressed were, were you with the MMA acumen and fans there? Salt Lake was awesome, man. Those Most of the people who came out, uh, we, we made a few friends uh, that we ended up going out with uh, after the, the fights. But, I mean... The people who go to these things are are not casual fans. Most of them, most of them aren't casual fans. So you can, it's really fun being there to always be able to strike up a conversation with anybody around you, and everybody knows exactly what they're talking about. And uh, what was what what was your thoughts on just how busy it was there early and how loyal the fans were? Because it's a long night, you know. What I mean? Yeah, man. It was uh, like I said, we like you said, we we were there early. We were there before the first fight started, and uh, a lot of people were there the, before the first fight fight started. Even when you watch on TV, you can see the prelims, especially early prelims are on ABC. Son, are totally <laughs> dead, right? Um, so it was it was an awesome experience, man. Just to see just to see how full the arena was early on. And you want to share the seat? the seat thing and yeah, yeah man. Set, that, set that up for us yeah we <laughs> we we got there early in hopes to uh just move forward and get maybe a few rows ahead of where we were supposed to be and uh, we were able to get probably some of the best seats in the house uh could stand pretty much the whole time uh really really nice 
Yeah, I've done this in other cards because, again, people don't show up forever. You can watch half the event in a better seat. But I've always got kicked out and always had issues no matter. I always will try to find the most precarious areas. Like, no one bought this seat, you know. And I'll look on the apps beforehand to see what seats aren't sold. But it was a sold-out event. Dana White usually has a post-UFC press conference. He was not there. He's on vacation in Italy. But he had tweeted out, broke the gate record, broke the attendance record for the Delta Center. Go, Jazz, go! Um, the UFC ends up doing that. You think about all the jazz games and the history and the, the, the intense fandom there. The UFC just crushed what they're doing. And as we got there early, you know, this is his first time. We're pretty low down on the second hundred, second hundred level. But the way the Delta Center works is you got the rich people, you got the hundred level, the suites, and then the 200. There's no one, two, three. So if you're in the 200, it's pretty far up there. So we got to skip the whole rich people, 200. We went down to the 100 right as you walk out. Went to the edge so you could even stand up in your seat. And our whole row ended up getting filled out besides maybe three seats, and we were two of them. You know, if we would have moved three seats this way, they would have <clears> kicked <throat> us out. Three seats this way, we, we would have got kicked out. And as the night, you know, I wanted to, like, know all the people around me because usually I'm, I'm fired up. I'm, like, asking people what their UFC experience is. I'm plugging the podcast. I'm meeting people that, you know, have good stuff. I'm betting drinks. And um, it was, it was kind of weird because I didn't know if we're going to get kicked out. So I was like, how, you know, should I meet these people yet? Should I wait? The night just kept going. The night kept going. I was like, dude, we might get these seats the entire night. And that ended up happening. And if I could have chose a seat in the arena, there may have been 20 other seats I would have chose. But that was probably one of the best seats in the house. So it made for an awesome night to see nine finishes out of 11 yeah. fights. And we'll break those down in detail. And the last thing I'll say is the only bummer is they don't serve hard alcohol in the arena. Uh, if Shane's going to UFC, he's trying to put some shots on the line. He's trying to get a little loosey-goosey. And after a couple of Modellos, dude, I was feeling heavy. I, I really couldn't pour back the drinks that I wanted to drink. The only light beverage was like an Arnold Palmer. So that was a little bit of a Debbie Downer. But other than that, an amazing night. And I can't wait to break down the fights. Any last thoughts? Yeah, I'm cool with beer. I had a lot of beer. Um, great night, man. Are you going to go to a UFC again? 100% yes. He said 100% a lot. 100 piece, son. Well, um, yeah, so Debbie Downer, day of weigh-ins, two fighters missed weight, two fighters I'm hyped about. Venetia Salvador, two pounds over. CJ Vergara said, you know what? We're still fighting. But Michelle Perheta, a guy that consistently misses weight, is three pounds over, which, you know, Wonder Boy's been in this game a long time. He's not fighting for a lot besides, you know, clout, resume, legacy, maybe a little bit of bread. And um, he didn't want to deal with it because he had fought other guys that came in heavy. And, the, you know, a guy like Michelle, he's going to blow up way bigger than Wonder Boy during the fight. You don't need any disadvantages to your name, especially if you take a loss here. You're not going to get high-quality fights again. So, you know, there's so much on the line for Wonder Boy. But what really irks me and is, you know, pretty viral right now is that Wonderboy did not even get his show money. Um, you know, Dana White wasn't there. That's probably Sean or someone's decision uh, in the absence of Dana. So there might be maybe some negotiation going on the week, and Dana might be, you know what, we got it handled. But that's also could be Dana saying that if you guys want to pull out of the fights, like I know he missed weight, he's getting fine, he's getting, you know, we're going to make this as appropriate with the circumstances that we can. But he might be trying to make a statement like, hey, if you guys – you know, don't want to deal with it, like, we're not going to pay you. So it's going to be a very controversial subject. I'm sure Ariel Hawani might be talking about it right now or whenever the MMA hour starts. So I'm sure we'll see a lot of that on this week. But that definitely was a kick in the nuts a little bit. 
Yeah, I don't know if it's Dana making a point or, you know, there's there's so many things that could be happening that, that we wouldn't know. You know, maybe he got a call in Italy from Dana saying, hey, man, you did a crazy camp. You're in shape. I've got a couple opponents lined up for you. We're going to make it right on this next fight. Maybe we'll see him in a month. I hope so. I really do. I would have loved to see Wonderboy. That's one guy I have not uh, got to see. But I did see a lot of guys I've never seen live this weekend. So, again, uh, a fantastic experience overall. Well worth the 22 hours in the car. <laughs> yeah, 22 hours. Well, um, some good fights we did not break down. The first fight of the night, pretty much could have guessed this. I would not be surprised that this was going to be the way to victory. But Miranda Maverick getting back on the winning track with a round three armbar victory over Priscilla Cohera. And uh, yeah, that's Jason's favorite friend. He got to enjoy a beer with her at the bar afterwards. And that's one thing that, that people don't understand about the UFC. If you're going in there again, they're spending money. It's going to be quality fans. People are, are really going to care about it. People love to banter, bet drinks, and it's a whole deal. But you're going to see stars out there. There's so many you know, people that are coming, sitting ringside. Um, even the fighters going out post-events. There was a big after party. There was a long line. Jace didn't want to wait. That was his fault. You know what I'm saying? It was good. Um, I'm sure there was a ton of fighters there. I heard guys partying with Kevin Holland the night before. Like, all these things. Like... You can get in some shit if you want to get in some shit, especially if it's in Vegas. Um, but, yeah, you got to see Priscilla. I mean, how cool is that to see? I think you took a photo with Brett Okamoto, some happy dad dude I don't know about, and Priscilla. What was that experience like? You know, I'm not much of a selfie with some famous people, but Jace was eating it up, so tell me how you <laughs> like that. Yeah, man, it was a fun experience just to get get to see uh, people who dedicate their lives to their craft and have, have gone on to, to do really amazing things. Uh those guys are idols of mine. Um, not necessarily personally, but anybody who's willing to work uh, the way that they work to get to where they're at. Uh, worth meeting, sharing a little bit of a conversation. If you can get a picture with them, get a picture with them so you can remember the moment. And you'll realize the fighters are just regular-ass people. It's not like the NFL. It's not like a lot of sports where they're like glorified worldwide superstars and they have to have security everywhere they go. Like Priscilla was there with a couple of her friends. She doesn't speak English. She's having like quite a few beers. Had a rough night in the office. Um, and... You know, Jace wanted to take a photo. I think he got her a beer. Uh, another guy that we met up with actually got a photo of them facing off, and she looked pretty intimidating, pretty awesome photo they probably pulled there. Uh, but great win for Miranda Maverick. And then we had, in my opinion, uh, probably the best quality fight of the night when it goes to three full rounds of action. We had Euros Medich with a round three knockout, a fantastic spinning forearm. Not quite a fist, the forearm landed. I'm sure people have seen it, the clips viral. I haven't seen a lot of the clips because we've been right, you know, back to the action this week. Um, but huge knockout over Matthew Samuelsberger via the spinning forearm. What a fight that was, huh? Yeah, that was an incredible fight. I'm, I'm surprised that one didn't get a bonus. We were talking about it in the car. Uh, I, I thought Dana was going to be uh, real generous with these bonuses tonight. He was, but I think this one was one that he overlooked. Definitely one of the best fights of the night in my book. Yeah, I mean, Semmelsberger almost got a round one knockout. How Medich, you know, his last name was, could be Medic. You know, he got a revive pack or something and got after it, man. It was awesome to see. And then probably one of the weirdest fights of the night, Jake Matthews with a rear, round two rear naked choke after a supposed below-the-line shot, which were really, in my opinion, toes under the ribs, right in the liver shot, shut him down. It was very controversial, kind of a weird thing, but Jake Matthews getting the win with the short-notice opponent. Yeah, man, this is the this is the fight that blew our parlay, our yeah. lock. Yep, Jace's lock for the four fight parlay was uh, two decision, 
And uh, you yeah. could tell probably in the first 10 seconds that was probably not going to happen. I was really excited when they made it to the second round. We thought they were, I thought they were going to be tired out. I would have, I was tired out watching it. Well, so. he was so tired, he just tapped right away and gave up his neck. So I'd have done the same thing. <laughs> but um, we're going to kick it off in the prelims. Holy shit, this knockout, man. We had Ramon Kapalov with a round two knockout over Claudio Ribeiro. Clean leg kick, you know, almost as probably even cleaner than the kick that Gaethje landed. Uh, but this is a massive win versus Kapalov. You knew these two were going to come after it. And we talked about the fights we didn't even break down. There were so many finishes early. You knew getting to the main card, shit was about to pop off. And uh, I just thought Roman looked amazing here, Jace. Yeah, dude, massive head kick right in the beginning of the second round. I wasn't expecting it, um, but Kapilov came out swinging the whole fight, and uh, it was a great fight to see. It really uh, made the energy go up to another level in the arena. And, yeah, by this time, the, the fucking Delta Center was rocking. Yeah. Um, Roman statistically landed 32 total strikes and significant and got the knockdown, so he's throwing heat pretty much the whole fight. Uh, Claudio didn't shy away from that much either. 33 total strikes, 32 significant, so pretty damn similar in the striking. Uh, he was 0 for 1 in takedown attempts, but it really wasn't much of a takedown attempt. So Roman now extended his winning streak to three, two of those this year. Claudio starts a new losing streak. He moves to 2 and 2 in the UFC. And Roman in the post fight interview, he called out Sean Strickland, which power to you, love it. I, I think that'd be a great uh, fight. I think fight fans would enjoy it. Uh, but I don't think the UFC is just going to jump him into the top, like, six in the division. You know, that's a very tough division. So I'm saying maybe he takes on Junyong Park, the Iron Turtle, who's on a tear, or Mark andre Barrio. Um, I think those would be fantastic matchups. And for Claudio, give him Kyle Dacus or Christian Leroy Duncan. Those are all good prospects that have been around. I mean, Kyle's not really a prospect anymore. But there's not a lack of fights in this division, and I can't wait to see what Roman does next. Any thoughts on those potential opponents or yeah you know i hadn't watched too much copy love before this fight started but i'm definitely going to now this fight was one of the most exciting fights of the night i'm gonna say that about every fight when you have nine <laughs> out of 11 finishes i mean it's just insane um but it was it was great for him to call out sean strickland i think that's super funny i think that's gonna make some great social media content for uh, for sean yeah imagine him just talking <laughs> about russia and, and uh <laughs> yeah man i i think uh moving forward both those fighters deserve another test and then we had my guy, Venetia Salvador, did not look so phenomenal this night as it was all CJ Vergara with the unanimous decision. You know, there could have been a little bit of the weight cutting issue. You know, he didn't cut, make weight. He looked pretty brutal on the scale when I saw the images. Um, the thing that was weird for me, I love CJ. CJ's been there. He's fought some high quality opponents. He did not throw with the volume and pace that he typically does. Usually he's the aggressor. Usually he's throwing a lot of volume. And we did not see that. We even see them try to wrestle. So it's just a weird situation. But CJ, again, he's fought some quality opponents. He's got that experience. He was calm, cool, collected. And he really just picked his shots. And it ended up getting the job done. And you could tell it was frustrating. Uh, Venetius. Venetia is a little showboaty, hands down, you know, rolling the shoulders, doing whatever. I think he wasted a little bit too too much energy being a showman versus actually going out there and putting on a fight. What was your thoughts here? Uh, yeah, just just a bummer that uh, Phenomeno didn't show up the way we thought he was going to show up. Uh, he really got beat up in that fight. Um, they were, you know, trading shots, but um, CJ was landing the better of him. You could tell after the fight he was in a great mood. Um it was an awesome fight to watch. 
Yeah, he was chilling on the concourse with the fans for like four hours. Yeah. yeah. After his fight, he was, he was trying to live in the moment, baby. I don't even think he watched the rest of the card. He Probably was just not. hanging out in the concourse, taking pictures for like four hours. Seemed like a really cool guy. He was there when we were leaving the arena at the end of the night. Yeah. Still. And statistically, CJ, uh, you know, did work. He had 109 total and significant strikes. Salvador did land 89 total, 88 of those significant. I will say when uh, Venetius did throw, he threw with some vengeance. He was trying to get a knockout. I think he realized that he didn't have the energy to try to win a decision. So I think he was being a little conservative with his, his energy load. But when he was throwing, he was throwing heat. And he was 0 for 2 in takedowns. I expected CJ to be the guy looking to go to wrestling due to Venetius' striking. And that was not the case uh, as we took our first L um, on this fight here. But CJ extends his winning streak to two. He is three and one since 2022. Been pretty active. Nice little winning streak. And Venetius extends his losing streak to two. He is now only one and two in the UFC with the Dana White Contender Series victory. So back to the drawing board for the young Venetius. He is young though, right? Lots of room for growth. CJ is like 32. He's 27. You can definitely see the difference in experience there. But what's next? Um, I'm saying give me Venetius and Jesus Aguilar. That would be a fun fight. And for CJ, I think he earned a dance with Jeff Molina. Nice little step up. Uh, that could be a, a fantastic performance. Yeah, man. What's next for me is to talk about the next fight on the card. Nice. Well, we got Gabriel Bonfim with a round one submission via guillotine choke over Trevin Giles. Uh, the way Jace highlighted Trevin Giles was what? What was your breakdown on that? Athlete. Athlete. Well, you want to talk about an athlete, Gabriel Bonfim, undefeated, 15-fight winning streak. Not only did he power through Trevin in about 30 seconds, but then he just said, you know what, I'm going to lock this neck up. I got a signature move. And, you know, we saw Jack Della a couple weeks ago. Doesn't always work to pull guillotine. But, goddamn, his guillotine's nasty. He locked it in, got the quick win. Um, I want to see more of this guy. He just defeats people so fast. But this is a high-quality opponent, an athlete, and Trevin Giles. Yeah, man, he just bombarded him, a couple strikes, quick guillotine, ended the fight. To be honest, I was out in the concourse getting a beer, um, but uh, I watched it on the screen while I was out there. I think you I was were getting also a getting a beer, yeah. Cool, I didn't miss much. <laughs> so, uh, unfortunately, I missed that show, um, but it was, it was cool to watch on TV. And statistically, not a lot to break down. Only three total and significant strikes with the submission attempt and the takedown, and Trevin only landed one total and significant. So Gabriel, again, extends his winning streak to 15. He is 3-0 in the UFC. Nobody's going to want to mess with the Bond theme brothers. Trevin ends his two-fight winning streak and starts a new losing streak. Uh, it's always tough, you know, getting a winning streak put together just to take an L to a, a young up-and-comer. But I'm sure Giles is going to be all right. I do think it's going to be kind of an interesting scientific matchmaking for Bond theme next. Because you could easily just jump up and be like, all right, let's put him in with the killers. It's like, oh, we can ease him in a little bit still. My money is they're putting him up a, a, a ways, but not like to the top 15. I think maybe Eliza, Eliza Zaleski or Chaos Williams. I think those would be awesome tests. And for Trevin, a fight with Francisco Trinaldo would not disappoint two veterans clanging and banging. Yeah, I think moving Bonfim significantly up the skill ladder is is definitely something you want to do. Maybe not in the top 15, like you said, but but somewhere close, maybe a gatekeeper to that top 15. Uh, he hasn't even gotten like a minute of fighting in. I mean, it, shit. Excited to see him, uh, see him move forward and see how fast he can climb to the top of this division. So in the prelims, we had a Miranda Maverick submission, Yorosh Medich third round knockout, 
We had a Jake Matthews submission, a Roman uh, Kapalov knockout, and we had um, one decision and another submission. So five finishes before the main card. I was pretty fired up by the time the main card uh, came around, especially because the, the opening fight is big mouth Kevin Holland, who I have not seen live. He's an antic. He had a great walkout experience. And um, I was just fired up. The, the juices were flowing, as you said last time at this point for me. How are you feeling come main card time? Juices were flowing. Uh, really excited to see big mouth, watch him come out, watch him fight. Didn't get to see much. It was my first, uh, my first real pick. Uh, Kevin Holland's second round. His first lock. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't quite happen. Um, but I don't think you picked Kevin Holland at all. No, I picked uh, Michael Chiesa. You know, being a, an analyst, sometimes you don't want to go with just the casual pick. Like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go Kevin Holland. No, I thought there was a clear um, opening for Chiesa in the ground game. And uh, it was not pretty as Big Mouth got the round one submission. And the whole ironic part is it was via Darce choke, which Michael talks about being an issue for him and how Kevin Holland, Holland has such a good Darce choke. We were literally watching RC and DC um, the, the night before we recorded the pod or the night before we left. And he was talking about, you know, I can't get caught in that. Oh boy, did he? And he did not look, look to see some ring rust. He was a little slow and haggardy in there. And, and, and Kevin being as active as he is, he just looked great, man. Yeah, Kevin is awesome to watch. He's he's incredibly active. It just comes natural to him. His cardio is off the charts. Um, and for this fight to be real quick for him, he's known for those fast turnarounds. You said it last time. Uh, he has the, the most fights in 12 months out of anyone ever in the UFC. I think it was seven. Um, shoot, he's he could fight again next week. I doubt that'll happen, but golly, this is a big win for him, right? He went back down the weight class. He's got a couple wins now. Kiesa's ranked 12th. Rankings don't come out until tomorrow. I would assume we see a number 12 next to Kevin Holland's name, and there will not be a lack of potential opponents for Kevin Holland. Uh, but quickly, I was going to say, one of my favorite things about seeing the fights live is when you buy the pay-per-view, they, they do a little bit of the walkout, you know, Megan O'Leavy's in the tunnel. Sometimes you can kind of hear the song in the background, but I love just seeing who the fans really love, who they shout for. I like seeing the energy of the fighters coming out and their music blaring. And like, you're kind of getting in the headspace of that fighter. So that's one of the experiences I really enjoy in the live aspect. Any thoughts on how that was for you? Seeing them come out, seeing the whole energy, the hype, the Bruce Buffer shit live, like all that. What was that like? Um, being my first UFC event, this is my first professional fighting uh, event. I think I saw SummerSlam at WWE <laughs> event when I was like 15 and Limp Biscuit played. That was cool. But no, uh, it's really, really a cool experience. Unique. The whole building is bumping. You feel it in your whole body. You feel it in your heart. And uh, man, it just gets you going before the fights. I, I got goosebumps you're talking about. But that shit gets you to your point in a whole nother level that you can't experience at home. Even if you have surround sound, you just can't dial it in like that arena going balls to the wall. Yeah, yeah, you don't get the fans in there either, which is something that's left out. I mean, they're they're uh, relaying studio songs on the TV. It's not it's not there uh, bumping through the speakers with the with the pulse of the fans. Well, statistically, again, not a lot to break down here. Kevin only landed twelve total strikes, nine of those significant with a submission attempt. Michael Chiesa landed six total, four significant, but went over five in takedown attempts. If you were to put money on it, did you think he was going to get a takedown in this fight? Yeah, for sure. I think he would have gotten a takedown just looking at his history. Uh, he's a great wrestler, but Kevin Holland came prepared. He's been fighting grapplers. he got to level up there. He talked and credited Terrence McKinney 
uh, who actually used to train at Sikh Jitsu in Spokane, I think has changed uh, because he's gone through some adversity in his career as well. And it might be a perfect match. Little, could you imagine Terrence McKinney and Kevin Holland together, man? What a show that's going to be everywhere they go, huh? Yeah, they should make a podcast. <laughs> they definitely should. Um, well, Kevin extends his winning streak to two. He moves to four and two, all at welterweight since 2022. So he moved to welterweight in 2022, six fights. He's been active. While Michael extends his losing streak to three, his last win coming January of 2021, over two years ago, against a very good Neil Magny. Uh, but it's going to be back to the drawing board. You can see the frustration from Michael. He took his gloves off after they announced that he was, he was the fuck out of there. Yeah, I don't blame him. He knew he was going to get caught in what he got caught in. And he, 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 spoke, <laughs> he, <called it. laughs> he spoke that into existence. So. Um, so what's next for these guys? Again, you could just throw names on a dartboard, throw a dart and catch who he's going to fight. Um, but I think for Jack, um, if, if, or not for Jack, for Kevin, if the Jack Madalena Sean Brady fight doesn't happen, either of those opponents would be box office. Could you imagine Jack Della and Kevin, Sean Brady and Kevin? Those would be great. I'm assuming the UFC is going to just put that fight back together though. If that's the case... Um, why not Neil Magny? Another guy in the rankings. He has not fought him. Uh, a gamer. Like, these are the two probably most game guys. Neil accepts a fight against everyone. He fights three, four times a year. Kevin Holland does the same. Let's see, let's see who could be more active and, and be more prepared. And for Chiesa, just put him against Michelle Pierre. He didn't make weight, you know. Uh, give him that fight. I would assume at this point, you know, Chiesa's 35. He's still in his prime window at the edge of it. But not being as active as he has been, he needs to get in there and continue to fight. And he needs to get right back to the drawing board. Yeah, man. Clearly, he had some of that ring rust. Clearly, it wasn't working out for him early against Kevin. Now that he's got a little bit more experience of legitimate octagon time, uh, put him back in there. See if he can get in there quickly and uh, turn the ship around. So moving on, what? just the whole embedded experience of this fight. Bobby Green with the mask, staring down Tony, saying, you see that? What did he say? This the fright, fear in his the eyes. fearness in my eyes. He's like, "What do you see?" I thought it was going to be Bobby coming out in a quick knockout, but Tony talked about how great the camp's been, how great his mental health is, and just where he's at. And this fight was a fun three-round back-and-forth affair. I did not have Bobby Green finishing via arm triangle, my favorite submission on the bingo card. But golly, was this just a wild fight? I mean, there was a moment that I was clowning. Um, Tony Forey did like a double leg and like really gave up on it, just flopped on his back. I'm like, what the hell kind of move was that? It was like, it looked like a pay win flopping down. Um, but it was cool to see Bobby Green let him go. And, uh, you know, to be honest, it was kind of cool seeing Tony have a little bit of resurgence and actually out there, you know, making a fight happen. Yeah, Tony looked better um, than I think anybody thought he was going to. So you got to give him credit for that. He still got beat up. Bobby, <laughs> Bobby was throwing punches all night. His his uh, his volume was incredible. Um, it was just crazy to see, like you said, Tony, kind of his resurgence, uh, that chin coming back after some of those gruesome, gruesome knockouts. But yeah, we knew all along that Tony wasn't going to be able to pull this one off. And you want to talk about volume and stats? Bobby really did work in this department. 145 total strikes. 137 of those significant with the submission attempt, and Tony only landed 62 total, 54 significant, so less than half the amount that Bobby landed. And he was over three in takedown attempts, you know? I figured if there was a way for victory for Tony, it was to mix in the grappling. He tried, 
Bobby's got some wrestling, you know, background and chops of himself, and uh, it didn't work out. So Bobby, he's had a weird year, man. He had the no contest, which I thought he was going to win. Uh, had two losses in a row, so he starts a new winning streak, getting back on track. And for Tony, the losing streak now extends to six. The man that once had 14 wins in a row in the light heavyweight division had a fight with Khabib booked, now to a six-fight losing streak. His last win, Donald Cerrone in 2019. The future is definitely a little bit murky for this uh, fighter. But what's next? If you want a certified banger, let's just keep Bobby going with scrappers. Bobby Green, Diego Fieta, and for El Kukui, if he does fight in the UFC again, I don't think they're going to give him some brand new kid on the block. We're going to make a good matchup. So how about the technical striker, Guram Kutataladze, who's coming off a couple tough L's as well. I think those both fantastic matchups. Yeah, man. I think both of those would be great matchups. Um... I don't know if El Kukui is going to make it back. His heart is clearly there, but his body clearly, clearly cannot handle this anymore. It's all going to come down to his contract situation with how the UFC feels. So um, he posted on Instagram a pretty heartfelt message, and uh, I think he understands like it's going to be a long meeting with them and kind of like, dude, what, what is your future, you know? Then the night, the moment of the night for me, I have not seen the Black Beast live. I thought it was a little too late. I thought he was past his prime. He came in with the fucking six pack and woo wee did he put on a show. The bell rang and he put a flying knee, a 280 pound man flying knee down another man. Performance of the night, 50 G's with the round one knockout over Marcos Rogerio de Lima. Man, what a fucking Ooh, event there. I'm gonna pat myself on the shoulder on this one. First thing I said on Tuesday was round one. Derek Lewis, knockout. And he didn't disappoint me. And he didn't even have to hardly throw any punches doing so. No, no, he didn't hardly at all. Again, besides the Gaethje head kick, it was probably the biggest shocker to see Derek Lewis even try a flying knee. I don't think we've probably ever seen that in his UFC career. But he is, again, the standalone holder for most knockouts in UFC history. Matt Brown tied him. He said, "Uh uh-uh, I'm doing it again. He announced that he's a free agent. His future is going to be very interesting. The PFL might throw a lot of money at him to get Ngannou Derek Lewis too. Could you imagine PFL trying to get some livelihood off that fight? Uh, He could come back to the UFC. There's not a lack of opponents. But for me, my highlight, not only seeing Black, the Black Beast, I wanted him to win. I didn't pick him, but I wanted him to win. I am a massive fan of the Black Beast. But in the post-fight interview with Joe, the shorts coming off, the, the standard celebration, the balls is hot. I mean, he was feeling himself. He's got a six. It's like me coming with a six-pack. I'm taking my shorts off. I'm showing off. I'm having a good time. I can only imagine the night that Derek Lewis had after that. He told his wife, I'm coming home and busting those guts. Oh, fuck. It's just cool to see a man like that in his moment and in the zone. Joe was loving it. I'm sure pay-per-view loved it. And goddamn, did we love it. Yeah, man. He really... I mean, just when you think things can't get more exciting, um, Derek Lewis comes in there. And and I'm glad I didn't get up to go get a beer before this fight started because that was incredible. It was fireworks. It was awesome, man. And again, not a lot from the strikes. There's a lot of finishes here. Nine of the 11 fights finished. I, uh, almost any diehard UFC fan, if you gave them the lineup that we had without the Wonderboy fight and you said nine of these 11 will be finished, people will throw their money at the wall. I'm kind of a weird cat. When there's super fast finishes, I'm just like, I would have loved to see Derek Lewis trade some hands. 
You know, some of these quick finishes, Kevin Holland, Michael Kiss, I would love to see that. Actually, I probably didn't need to see that one. It looked pretty rough. But some of those good fights, like I would have enjoyed to see a little bit more at the moment. I want my full money's worth. But hey, I'm clapping. I'm happy. Derek landed 20 total strikes, 17 significant with the knockdown. I don't remember Marcos landing strikes, but he did land two, one of them significant. So Derek cleans his slate, three-fight losing streak out the door, starts a new winning streak. Marcel ends, Marcos ends his winning streak as well and starts a new losing streak. So for me, if the Black Beast is staying in the UFC, which after that, does Dana let him walk? Come on. There's Look, no Your way. knockout leader in history, he looks like he's fresh. He's I, I don't think you let him now. walk. I think you bring him back, get him a contract, and put him up against Jarzinho Rosenstrike. That would be uh, probably another first-round knockout um, from somebody. And uh, I'm actually shocked these two haven't squared up before. So um, I think that would be a great heavyweight showdown. And for Marcos, uh, give him Alexander Romanov, who's had a weight-gaining, supposedly life-changing fucking year. Uh, a good back-on-track fight for both men. That's a win-win. Yeah, man. Uh, I think those would be great great fights, especially against Rosenstruck. That would be fireworks. I'd throw my money at that card no matter what. Um, if it was a pay-per-view, I'm sure it would be. Um, yeah, yeah, I think uh, I think Dana White can't let Derek go. He's got a six-pack. He's looking better than debatably he has or ha- ever has, at least his, his body shape. And uh, I'd like to see him go a few more fights at least. It's a very loose six-pack, but for a man like that, it looks good. I've never had a six-pack. <laughs> um, and then we had the co-main event. Uh, was rumored potentially might just be for the interim title after the Jamal Hill situation. And it wasn't, but damn, it was a good fight. And it felt like a title fight, in my opinion. It felt like there was so much on the line. You know, Jan Blachowicz isn't getting younger. And Alex is still so green, but you've already seen the growth. Uh, uh, look at the people who took him down early in his career. It was a lot easier than what Jan had to deal with. I thought both guys displayed such well-roundedness. I thought Jan looked better than he did against Ankolaev. So I thought there was a lot of great things to see here. In my mind, though, the UFC is just salivating. Salivating at the idea, you know, they didn't foresee Jamal Hill getting out. But is there a better seller right now than Alex Pajeda and Yuri Prohashka? I mean, come on, man. That is going to be must-see TV. I would not be shocked, depending who else is on the card, which it could be later in the year. They're saying maybe earlier. That could be potentially fight of the year candidate there, too. Yeah. Uh, you see Alex and Yuri. I'd say put that on a card with the co-main being Rosenstruck and Lewis. Oof. That would be an incredible, incredible pay-per-view that I would absolutely Conor throw McGregor my money returned. at. Oh, uh, yeah. Now we're talking. Be fun. I mean, I, heard he, I saw he entered the Sada pool a couple days ago. Yeah, I mean, he just texted Waisada, so we'll see if that's true or not, but... We'll see what happens. Um, this fight was tough to watch. It's been a hard, hard uh, stretch here for Jan with the, uh, I think it was a no contest or a draw. The draw. The draw. Like I that's thought he right. lost that fight, so maybe he should be happy and then, with the draw. And then this one, it's a close fight, and you got a lot of people uh, thinking this one's a bit controversial. I myself think it's a bit controversial. I haven't gotten a chance to watch it back yet. Um... But, man, I was pulling for the Polish power on that one. It was fun to see. I mean, both guys had their moments. Basically, for me, this was just Alex passing the charts. Can Alex take real damage at heavyweight? Check. Can he avoid the takedowns at heavyweight? Check. Can he last three rounds plus at light heavyweight? Check. So there was a lot of things that were good, but Jan won this fight. Jan, you could even look at the statistics and everything about Jan. 
the total control time and everything, clearly round one is Jan. Clearly round two is Alex. This is where he rocked Jan. This is where he looked good. Round three, I felt like Jan won four minutes of the fight and Alex stole the last minute. Although in that last minute, he landed a lot of strikes where Jan was top control with not a lot of action. We have to tell ourselves, can 10 strikes in a last minute really win a round when a guy dominated the first four? If that's the case, I'm not happy with that being the ruling. I think the UFC, if they could choose, 100% they want Alex to win this fight. They do not want Alex to lose this fight. I am worried that there's a little bit of you know behind the scenes going on here, but I have not watched it back again. I was a few beverages deep. The juices were flowing. Your boy was fired up. We just watched Derek Lewis run around the octagon without his shorts. So, yeah, I had all kinds of things going on. Going on. I have to watch it back. But I'm pretty confident I'm going to watch it back, have the same opinion. I think he got robbed. Yeah. And I, I think that Jan, dude, yeah, this year, brutal for him. And what do they do next? I have no idea. I feel for the man, though. you got to feel for him sometimes. Yeah, I've not seen several ground strikes uh, from your back at that uh, win a fight at the end of the third. But countless times I've seen uh, somebody on their back being controlled uh, by somebody taking them down at the end of the third fight or end of the third round to win the fight. So, uh this one's a little tough, like you said. Pereira Yuri uh, makes more money, so you know moving forward, it's going to be cool no matter where uh, Alex and Yuri go. Or I'm sorry, uh, Alex and uh, Jan. Alex and Jan go. Uh, I hope the best for them. They're both really exciting fighters, and hopefully Jan uh, makes one more title run. And when we look at the stats, I mean they're pretty close. I'm not surprised. These are pretty pretty common strikes. I mean Alex round two put out more striking volume than the entire fight saw. But Jan landed 82 total strikes, 52 of those significant. He had three takedowns and eight attempts, so not a great conversion. I would say some of those eight attempts weren't really full attempts, but when he did get the takedown, he had major, major control time, and they don't show that on these stats. I mean, round one, I would say it was about four minutes, and round three, I would say about two and a half. So, you know, almost seven minutes of a 15-minute fight he had controlled. And in that first round, he was doing a lot of damage on top. So, um, again, you got to keep that in mind. He had two submission attempts. And then Alex landed 112 total, so about 30 more total strikes, 70 significant, 18 more significant with the submission attempt. So now Alex starts a new winning streak. He is a very impressive 5-1 and one in the UFC in six professional fights, actually seventh, his next fight, he will be fighting for two division titles in the UFC. I don't think we could call it champ champ because he's still not the old holder, but he could be a two division champion in under 10 fights. I don't know if that's going to be a record that I don't know could ever be passed. And uh, definitely five, six years ago, I don't think anyone would have thought would be possible. Alex is speed running the UFC and MMA as a whole. And he's uh, clowning on Izzy. Oh, Izzy, you can't beat Jan. I just beat him. Oh, I got the light heavyweight title. You want this? Uh, it's going to be interesting. I, I just have a feeling there's going to be one more time these guys face uh, face off. I don't think it will be the short term, though. So next, I do think Alex Neary's a lock. We don't even have to try to predict this. The UFC's already jizzing their pants and having a good time. Uh, I think it will be fight of the year candidate, especially what we saw from Dustin Gaethje. Um, but for Jan, I always think of Johnny Walker. Johnny Walker's booked. Uh, I was thinking maybe a rematch with uh, Megomed Ankalaev. Megomed Ankalaev's booked. So the future is very weird for Jan. I think he's going to have to let some things shake out. Then the main event of the evening for the BMF title. No one saw it coming. No leg kicks in round one. Not as many as we would see. 
Dustin was looking good. Dustin was flowing. Well, Justin gets a round two knockout over Dustin Poirier. 50 Gs. All the finishes on the main card got 50 Gs. So although maybe Dana wasn't super polite, he did provide a lot of uh, uh, a moments. And man, just seeing these two guys go after it, it's my first time seeing Gaethje live. If I could think about the fight, I'm thinking of the head kick and how shocked I was. I don't think I've been shocked like that in a sporting event in a long, long time on TV or in person. But Gaethje with that backflip, man, it's scary. If I was his coach, I was like, don't do that. But he, I feel like he put some extra on that one. Yeah, you saw him almost fall over onto a Herb and Dustin. He's lucky he took, or just, yeah, Dustin, uh, lucky he took a step to the side there. But man, this, uh, two of my favorite fighters of all time. Love watching him. Pick Dustin. Uh, Justin trains here in, in uh, Phoenix, I think, right? No, in Colorado. I think I said He's that last Phoenix, time, too. Yeah. He's from Phoenix. Okay, well, you know, man, this this was an awesome, awesome fight. The only way this would have been better uh, is if it went five rounds. And that's what I wish I would have saw. But I'm happy about this will be a viral, most talked about moment for a long time. This really allows Justin to, to fight the top of the heap. Dustin, he's fought the top of the heap. He'll probably take legacy fights. And again, I thought the storyline would be leg kicks versus boxing. We didn't see a lot of leg kicks, but we no one saw, including Dustin, the head kick coming. It was brilliant. Um, Dustin did win with the boxing. I thought round one clearly was going Dustin's way. I was feeling good about him going throughout the fight. I just want to know, Kamara had been training with Justin. I was watching their YouTube video blogs all week. Was Kamara like, hey, man, I want to show you this one thing that I've been learning about that fucked me up in Salt Lake City. You should check it out. Or was this Trevor Whitman? Trevor Whitman's like, hey, I know we don't throw leg kicks, but you're throwing, or some high kicks, but you're throwing one now because it shocked everyone, including Dustin. I'm interested to see if there was some knowledge on that. I'm sure Ariel Hawani will have um, Trevor Whitman or Gaethje on and probably ask him that question. So I'm really excited to see if that's it. Or if Justin just randomly threw it because at the end of the fight, they never do shit like this in the arena. I'm sure they did on pay-per-view. They have all the tools to do so. But immediately after the fight, they put a side-by-side -side of the Kamaru Us and Leon Esward Edwards high kick and the Gaethje, the fake left, straight to the head kick. It literally was exactly the same. You cannot tell me they did not prepare for that. Head kick city. Head kick city. Salt Lake City, the city of shocking head kicks, I guess. Yeah, I think uh, Trevor and Kamaru were the only ones, and you know, maybe Justin, but the only ones uh, in the arena who knew that was coming. Insane, man. What a, I was just like, oh, my, I couldn't even say anything. Yeah. And statistically, Dustin landed 27 total and significant strikes compared to Justin's 41 total and significant with the knockdown. So Dustin starts a new losing streak. He is 3-2 and two since 2021. Justin extends his winning streak to 2 and is 3-1 since 2021. So I think Justin's probably going to wait for Oliveira Islam. Um, I think if he does that, though, I think Volkanovski skips him. I think Volk fights again, Islam fights again, then they fight. Because Volk really wanted to fight Islam now. He didn't want him to take Oliveira. He got Oliveira. So Justin's going to risk, you know, that could be a year and a half. You know, that puts him close to 37 years old or 36 years old. Do you want to wait? Do you want to take a fight? If you want to take a fight, there's really not much there for you. So I'm really interested to see what happens. And for Dustin, if he's going to fight anytime soon, the only fight on paper that makes sense is Benil Dariush. I would love that fight. I'm all for it. So let's make that happen. But any thoughts on, on the matches there? Yeah, I think Dustin and Benil would be a great fight. Um, I think the money would be there uh, for Dustin to, to want to take that fight. It's risky, man. Dariush is a, Dariush is a gamer. 
Um, Justin, yeah, he's in a weird spot right now, like you say. It's going to be a while, I think, before he can fight again. Maybe he'll take some time off, enjoy uh, the tour as BMF champion. Um, I wonder if they get the championship perks with that belt now that it's a, a real belt. No. No. They just had Jorge Masvidal in, grant the belt. Uh, that was originally Errol Hawani's idea. A week ago, Jorge said he wasn't even going, and he's like, they should have the old BMF belt, the new BMF. All of a sudden, he was in Salt Lake, so really cool event. Um, but, uh, man, just what, what a night. Yeah, man. I Let me thank you so much for giving that opportunity uh, to me for me to go. I had a phenomenal time. I wouldn't trade it for the world, man. I, I mean, this was, again, I thought it was pretty well on its way to the card of the year. I think at this point it might be. But there's a lot of good action coming up in the, in the future part of the year. But nine finishes, 11 fight. You can't draw that shit up. Justin Gaethje, Alex Pajeda, they're going to be stealing the headlines. And we got an awesome UFC Fight Nashville card coming up. So we got UFC Fight Night Nashville going on this weekend. Prelims at 4 p.m. Pacific on uh, ESPN and the main card uh, on ESPN as well. And to be honest, if you're not a hardcore MMA fan... This isn't, you know, what we just got off of at UFC 291. It's not stacked from top to bottom. It's a great card, though. Nashville is in for a treat. If you don't know a lot of the fighters, we're breaking down the whole card today because I think the matchups are that quality. We're going to see some awesome fights, and I'm excited to, to, to see what happens this weekend in Tennessee. We're going to kick it off in the prelims. We got Odie, the Jamaican sensation Osborne. 31 years old with a 12-5 and five record, taking on Asu Zulfikar Alamabayev, the 29-year-old fighter with a 17-2 and two record. So this is Asu's UFC debut. Definitely going to be a big ask against a very good Odie Osborne. But to be honest, Odie's going to have to deal with the grappling that Asu's going to bring to the table. I'm sure that's going to be Asu's game plan. Go for the takedown early and often, mix it in with some striking. And that has been uh, somewhat of a weakness of Odie. So we're in for a good, uh, good scrap to start the night. So Odie is a southpaw fighter. He has a purple belt in BJJ and kickboxing. He's on a one-fight winning streak and is 2-1 since 2022. Five of his 12 wins are via knockout, four via submission. So nine of his 12 wins are via finish. He's a Dana White Contender Series and RFA alum. Meanwhile, Asu is on a very impressive 13-fight winning streak. He is an M1 alum and Brave alum, and eight of his 17 wins are via submission. Clearly, I'm not going to act like I know a ton about Asu. You know, this is his UFC debut, but Vegas and everybody else is high on him. Uh, but to defeat a very good experienced Odie in his prime, who's shown growth from fight to fight, I think that's a tall task. I think he's going to struggle with the striking and the pace that he puts here. Um, I'm not putting my money on the, on the UFC debuter defeating the Jamaican sensation. I am taking the underdog. I am not putting him on a parlay, but we're taking Odie Osborne to start. Then moving on, we have Cody Durden, 32 years old with a 15-4-1 and one record and the number 13 next to his name, taking on Jake White Kong Hadley, the 26-year-old fighter with a 10-1 record. Now, this isn't an interesting fight. Uh, definitely a good measuring stick for Jake Hadley. You know, Cody's been scrapping against some solid uh, names since he joined the UFC in 2020. Jake is definitely full of confidence with his callouts. He's coming off back-to-back -back wins, so this should be a, a great fight in store. 
When we break it down, Cody is a southpaw fighter. He trains out of American Top Team. He's on a three-fight winning streak and is 4-1 since 2021. Six of his 15 wins are via knockout, five via submission. So 11 of 15 uh, wins via finish, which is very good. Meanwhile, Jake is on a two-fight winning streak. He's a Cage Warriors and Bellator alum. Five of his 10 wins are via submission, and he does have a three-inch reach advantage in this fight. I think Cody's definitely going to have a nice mix of grappling and striking in this fight. He's going to push Jake for the entire 15 minutes. It's going to be important, though, that if he does get takedowns, he has to be offensive. You know, he's got to be able to look for that ground and pound, look for the submission attempts. Clearly, just getting takedowns and controlling people for multiple minutes isn't enough in, in today's decision criteria. Um, but I do expect Cody Durden to get the decision victory or maybe even potentially a submission. I am not putting this on a parlay, though. Moving on, we have Sean the Sniper Woodson, 31 years old with a 9-1-1 record, taking on Jesse Butler, the 31-year-old fighter with a 12-5 record. So another young guy to the UFC, Jesse just debuted against Jim Miller um, a couple months ago. Now he's getting to fight a very good Sean Woodson, who is in his prime at 31 years old, has good experience, so it's going to be a tall order. Sean, he trains at a glory MMA. He's coming off a draw and then a two-fight winning streak. He is 4-1-1 one one in the UFC overall. He is an RFA and Contender Series alum, and he has some length. He's got a 5-inch reach advantage and a 4-inch leg reach advantage. Now, Jesse is a Fury FC alum. He's on a one-fight losing streak. This was his UFC debut in June. Eight of his 12 wins are via submission. And in my opinion, the only real good way for Jesse to have a path to victory is a grappling, wrestling, heavy attack with control time and submission attempts himself uh, to try and tire Sean out. I am not betting on that, though. I'm taking the sniper. I'm putting him on that parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Moving on. We got Jeremiah Wells, 36 years old with a 12-2-1 record, taking on Carlston Mocambique Harris, the 36-year-old fighter with an 18-5 and record. Now, what a scrap we're going to get here. Jeremiah's been rolling, although he didn't really get into the UFC into, well into his 30s. And Carlston's in a pretty similar position. Breaking it down, Jeremy has a black belt in BJJ. He is a Cage Fury alum and former champion. And he is on a six-fight winning streak. Five of his 12 wins are via knockout. Four via submission, so nine of his 12 wins are via finish. Carlston is a brave alum and former champion. He's on a one-fight winning streak, but hasn't been super active. He's only 3-1 and one since 2021. I honestly think Jeremiah has fought better competition. He's looked like more of a technical striker than Harris. Carlston's a little bit weird. He comes at you, some weird shots. He has the power to really catch anyone and rock anyone. But I am going with Jeremiah. I'm putting him on that parlay. We marking that ish down and we getting that bread. Moving on. I think this fight right here, fight of the night potential written all over it. We got Kyler Matrix Phillips, the 28-year-old fighter with a 10-2 record, taking on Rayoni Barcelos, 
the 36-year-old fighter with a 17-4 record. Again, fight of the night potential written all over it. The off-the-script striking that both of these men's had uh, can deliver, it's going to be a dandy for fight fans, so don't blink in this fight. Both men are in different stages in their careers. They're fun to watch, and they have to try to you know climb the heap in the very, very deep bantamweight division. I mean, look at Rayoni, all the fights he has. He is now fighting uh, just only a 28-year-old fighter who's coming off in a six-month Osterine suspension uh, from USADA. He, uh, Kyler trains out of the MMA lab right here in Phoenix, trains with Sean O'Malley and team. Uh, three of his five UFC fights have been fight of the night or performance of the night. His nickname is The Matrix. When he, sh- when he shows up, he shows out. Five of his ten wins are via knockout. He is an LFA and Dana White Contender Series alum, and he does have a five-inch reach advantage. Now, Rayoni has a wrestling and BJJ background. He has a black belt in BJJ. He is a five-time Brazilian wrestling champion. He won the 09 Nogi Brazilian National Champion, the 2002 3 and 6 IBJJF World Championships. He is on a one-fight losing streak and is only 1-3 and three since 2021. So a little bit of a rut, hasn't been super active. He is an RFA alum and former champion, and he had two successful title t- defenses with RFA. Eight of his 17 wins are via knockout. Now, Kyler has, an, has had an impressive early run in the UFC. Rayoni has struggled against some very good competition, but he's defeated some quality fighters in his day as well in the UFC. I think Kyler is definitely going to have the speed advantage. Rayoni will possibly have the power advantage and grappling advantage, but I'm not sure Rayoni sticks to a strict game plan. He does tend to get off script a little bit. Uh, if he does fight a patient fight, I do think he has a real chance here. I think this is going to turn into a firefight, though. And with that, I'm going with Kyler. I am putting him on a parlay. We marking that ish down, and we gain that bread. Moving on. We got Billy Quarantillo, 34 years old, with a 17-5 record, taking on Damon the Leech Jackson, 34 years old, with a 22-5-1 record. And what a prelim headliner this is. I mean, again, maybe not the biggest names in all of the UFC, but this is a quality, well-matched-up fight night card, even with some of the late fill-ins and some fight uh, dropouts. But here in the prelim headliner, we're getting two quality veterans in their primes. They've had some ups and downs, but more ups in the UFC. They are both well-rounded fighters, and I can't wait to see this fight unfold. There's a ton on the line for both men. 34 years old in their primes. Billy, he's got a black belt in BJJ. He's a King of the Cage alum and former champion, Ultimate Fighter and Contender Series alum. Two of his last four fights have been Performance of the Night and Fight of the Night. So again, Billy Cuban doing his thing. He's on a one-fight losing streak. He is 2-2 two two since 2021, and eight of his 17 wins are via knockout. Now, Damon trains out of Fortis MMA. He has a purple belt in BJJ. He is a king of the cage, Bellator, Legacy FC, PFL, and LFA alum. He's a former champion of Legacy FC and LFA. This guy has been through the gauntlet, man. He's on a one-fight losing streak. He is 3-1 since 2022. 15 of his 22 wins are via submission, and four of his five losses are via knockout. 
He also has a three and a half inch leg reach advantage in this fight. I really think this is going to be another high past high paced fight with a lot of actions. Both men can do well mixing in kickboxing, a little bit of grappling, some BJJ. I believe the guy that does put out more volume can get that jab working, keep that distance, mixing in the kicks well, is going to steal a decision. I think there is a chance for a finish here in this fight, but I think they're so evenly matched with so much on the line, it's going to be uh, a, a close decision. A great tone-setting fight for the main card. I am taking Billy Quarantillo. We are marking that ish down, and we gain that bread. Moving on for the main card. We got some young studs here. Ignacio La Juala Bahamondes, the 25-year-old fighter with a 14-4 record, taking on Ludovic, Mr. Highlight Klein, 28 years old with a 19-4-1 record. And both of these men, although early in their career, they've really showcased some great skills and abilities. They really have shown improvement in that level up in their game each fight. Um, they really need to continue with consistent wins. You know, you, you get a win, you take a loss, you get a win, you take a loss. It, you're not really moving up the ladder. You got to consistently put up wins. Um, a, a win here is a, puts these guys on a great path, puts you right back into the mix and probably the deepest division in the, the promotion, the lightweight division. So there is a ton on the line. Breaking it down, Ignacio is an island fight, Titan FC, LFA, and Contender Series alum. He's on a three-fight winning streak and is 4-1 in the UFC. Nine of his 14 wins are via knockout, and he does have a three-inch reach advantage. Now, Ladova is a southpaw fighter. He's coming off a draw versus Jai Herbert. He is 2-2-1 two, two since 2021. Eight of his 19 wins are via knockout and eight via submission, so 16 of his 19 wins are via finish, and he is a Cage Warriors alum. Now, Ludova has fought some tough names early in his UFC career. Ignacio has really showed off some flashy striking ability, but this could be the toughest te test for him to date. I think Ignacio is going to be a little fast, more technical with the striking. If he could avoid uh, Klein taking him down and controlling the fight, I expect a great performance from Baja Mondes. If you don't know, now you'll know. I am taking Ignacio on that parlay. We marking that ish down. And we gain that bread. Moving on. We got Tanner the Bulldozer Bozer. 31 years old with a 20, 10, and 1 record. Taking on Alexa Kamor, the 27-year-old fighter with a 6 and 2 record. Now, I say this a lot, but in the UFC, to get in the roster, you have to put up wins to continually stay on the roster. You could take a loss here. You do three-plus losses, though. You're really at the risk of any moment unless you've built a brand over time. Now, these guys have a little bit more of a brand over time and the guy I'm going to talk about, but this fight really might be the last lifeline for Tanner Bozer. Um, you know, everything, it, it, he's writing everything on this fight and taking on Alexa, who's still young, hasn't won since 2020, and very well can be fighting to keep his UFC roster spot as well. What does that equal? I think that equals a banger, and we're going to see a highlight victory here. Breaking it down, Tanner has a black belt in Shido Ryu Karate and a purple belt in BJJ. He is on a two-fight losing streak and is 0-1 since he's returned to light heavyweight. 
He hasn't won since June of 2021 and is three and four since 2020. He's an M1 and King of the Cage alum. 11 of his 20 wins are via knockout. Now, Alexa hasn't fought since June of 2021 due to an injury. He is on a two-fight losing streak and is 2-2 two and two in the UFC. Five of his six wins are via knockout, and he is a Dana White Contender Series alum. I think Tanner's going to come out aggressive here, look to get a finish, get back on track. I think his experience in fighting IQ is going to be the difference maker in this fight. Um, I am going to put him on that parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Moving on, quite the main card we have here for a fight night, I must say. There's a lot of intrigue. We've already broken down a lot of it, but these next few fights, they're going to be one awesome affair for a, a free fight night card, and Nashville is going to be able to have a, a one hell of a, a showing. Here we have Gavin Govnor Tucker, the 37-year-old fighter with a 13-2 record, taking on Diego Lopes, the 28-year-old fighter with a 21-6 record. Now, this is a very interesting fight. I am a little surprised it's on the main card compared to some of the fights we broke down previously. And it's going to be hard for Diego to live up to the UFC debut he had against Movsar of Loeb. And Gavin hasn't fought since 2021. It's been some time. And as we just saw in Michael Chiesa's last fight, maybe not ring rust, maybe not camp rust. I mean, there's got to be something going on there. Um, it, it, the mental toughness you have to have in the preparation just to be able to come back in and be prepared and have your body flowing in the flow state, it's a challenge. When we break it down, Diego is a Fury FC and Dana White Contender Series alum. He's on a one-fight losing streak, although it was just his UFC debut against a top 10 fighter. 11 of his 21 wins are via submission and 8 via knockout, so he does know how to get finishes with 19 of his 21 wins via finish. He has some reach as well. Six and a half reach advantage and a three-inch leg reach advantage. Now, Gavin, he's got a black belt in BJJ. He's on a one-fight losing streak. He is 2-1 and one since 2020. Six of his 13 wins are via submission and four via knockout. So 10 of his 13 wins via finish. Now, Diego surprised in his last fight. But Gavin has wins over Billy Q, Sungwoo Choi. He's a solid fighter. I think he's going to have the better wrestling and striking and come back with a bang here. So I am taking the governor, but I am avoiding him on a parlay. And then in the light heavyweight division, we got a certified banger. This is going to be a scrap. We got Dustin, the Hanyak Jacoby, 35 years old with an 18-7-1 record and the number 14 next to his name, taking on Kennedy, the African savage, Neshekwu, the 31-year-old fighter with a 12-3 record and the number 15 next to his name. Again, another amazing battle of two men in their primes, both in the top 15, have floated around the top 15 in and out a couple times with a ton on the line. This should make for a very back-and-forth battle and another potential fight of the night candidate. Now, Dustin has a kickboxing background. He is an orthodox fighter. He trains at a Factory X. He is a 
2013 Road to Glory tournament winner in kickboxing. He is on a two-fight losing streak, and he is 5-2-1 and one since 2021. He is a contender series, Bellator, Titan FC, World Series of Fighting, and Cage former alum, Cage Fury alum, and former champion of Cage Fury. So he's bounced through a lot of promotions, and 11 of his 18 wins are via knockout. Now, Kennedy trains out of Fortis MMA. He is a contender series two-time alum, an LFA alum. The UFC always knew they had talent and potential with Kennedy. They made him do another contender series, go into the LFA, get his dubs to earn his UFC contract. So when I'm saying there's a lot on the line, although he's 31 in his prime, you got to put those wins together once you get in the UFC. He's done that. He's on a three-fight winning streak. Eight of his 12 wins are via knockout. And he has a seven-inch reach advantage. Sheesh. Now, Kennedy, he's looked great, man. He's leveled up. He's proved me wrong. I think I picked against him in his last fight. But I believe Dustin Jacoby, when he is his best, when he can kickbox without the worry of being taken down, he is one of the deadlier weapons at light heavyweight. Obviously, Kennedy's got that freaky length. He does have power that can catch anyone on any given night. But I'm taking the veteran, Dustin Jacoby, and I'm avoiding him on a parlay if possible. And then we have uh, one hell of a storyline in the co-main event, the return of Tatiana Suarez, the 32-year-old undefeated fighter with a 10-0 record and the number 10 next to her name, leveling up back at straw weight, taking on, taking on this stud, Jessica Bateastaka Andrade, the 31-year-old fighter with a 24-11 record and the number 5 next to her name. Now, Tatiana, she's getting a legit threat in her return to the strawweight division, only her second fight since her layoff. And the, Jessica, she got a little bit of a weakness. She struggled with grapplers. She just tries to come out there and, I think, mentally defeat her opponents and just try to big brother them, come out aggressive, throw a bunch of power shots, and just make that person afraid to step up and look for the knockout. And I don't think Tatiana will Suarez is going to back down in that moment. Breaking it down, Jessica has a black belt in BJJ. She's the former strawweight champion. She is tied with Ronda Rousey and Amanda Nunez for the most performance of the night bonuses in UFC women's history with five of them things. She is tied with Angela Hill for the most fight of the night bonuses in UFC women's history with five or with four. She has the most post-fight bonuses in UFC women's history with nine. She has the second most wins in UFC women's history with 15. She's a gamer. She's always down, never turns away from a fight. She has the most bouts in women's UFC history with 24. She is tied with Amanda Lemos for the most knockouts in UFC women's strawweight division with three. She's the only woman in UFC history to fight in three different weight classes. She had the first standing arm triangle choke finish last year, which won the 2022 submission of the year. Not everyone. I think the SB gave it somewhere else. But right here, Bose and TKOs, we gave it to, to her for the standing arm triangle. She is on a two-fight losing streak. She is 2-2 two and two since 2022. Nine, or, oh, excuse me. Um, nine of her 24 wins are via knockout, eight via submission, so 17 of her 24 via finish and five of her 11 losses are via knockout. 
Now, Tatiana has a wrestling and BJJ background. She's got a brown belt in BJJ. She's the former Ultimate Fighter alum and champion. She is undefeated on a nine-fight winning streak. She is 6-0 in the UFC. Before her injury and layoff, touted the next you know future face of the UFC. Four of her nine wins are via submission, and she does have a four-inch leg reach and reach advantage. I originally thought about taking Bate Estaca. I got burned on her against Aaron Blanchfield. I think Tatiana purposely wanted this fight. I think this is the fight that she said I could climb the, the rankings quickly. I could use my grappling. But she's got to be careful. She knows Andrade can catch anyone any given night. And I would not be surprised if she clipped Tatiana. But I do not expect Tatiana to look to, look to really open that opportunity up. She's going to grapple early and often. And for that reason, I am taking Tatiana. I am not putting her on a parlay if possible. And then we have the main event, Corey, the Sandman Sanhagen, 31 years old with a 16-4 and record and the number four next to his name, taking on Rob Font, 36 years old with a 20-6 and record and the number seven next to his name. And Rob Font's a stud for taking this fight. I've really enjoyed Rob. I tend to root for him. I really did want to see the Umar Sanhagen fight, though. I think that stylistically is a better matchup. But like I said, Umar pulled the Dagestani pullout. So, you know, Corey, he's been preparing like a champion. He could have kind of waited around for a title shot. He doesn't do it. He accepts Rob Font. And I am just a little concerned if Rob can really be as prepared as Corey is on the short uh, notice turnaround. You know, Corey's had to prepare for a different opponent as well. But Corey, as he has said, he is a savage for taking these fights. Uh, waiting to get a title shot, so all due respect to the Sandman. Now, Corey, he's got a kickboxing background. He trains at an elevation fight team. He has a brown belt in BJJ. He had the 2021 knockout of the year against Frankie Edgar. He is an LFA and RFA alum. He's on a two-fight winning streak, and seven of his 16 wins are via knockout. Now, Rob is an orthodox fighter. He's got a brown belt in BJJ. His last two fights have been fight of the night or performance of the night, so he's been showing out as well. He is tied with Marlon Vera for the second most knockouts in UFC bantamweight history with six. He has the most significant strikes landed in UFC bantamweight division history with 1,151 strikes. You know, he gets that jab going early and often. Um, I'm honestly shocked he has that uh, uh, most significant strikes in the bantamweight division, but he's a stud. He's on a one-fight winning streak, and he is 2-2 two two since 2021, and nine of his 20 wins are via knockout. I do expect Rob to have success with that jab. I think he's going to be able to get some boxing in, try to keep Corey at range, but I think Corey's going to have some success with the kicks, maybe even mix in grappling like he did in his last fight. I do think Corey will have a slight speed advantage and keep Rob guessing with some of the unscripted, unorthodox strikes that he has. For that reason, I'm taking the Sandman. I'm putting Corey on that parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. But UFC Nashville, it's going down on Saturday, a little bit earlier of an event next Saturday. Another decently deep Apex card, not as good as this Nashville card. It's got a main card start at 4 p.m. Pacific, headlined by Vicente Luque 
and Rafael Dos Anjos. What a scrap that's going to be. Again, episode nine, Bows and TKOs. I'm your host, Shane Gillette. See you next week.